Welcome back to the AEC Disruptors Podcast, your platform to help push the AEC industry forward. I'm your host, Chris Riddell, and joining me today is my co-host, Jackson Sinsat. What's going on, man? Doing good, man. Uh, the trees uh, in my front yard are starting to uh, have leaves again. So the grass is coming out of dormancy. The birds are singing. I've got the windows open. It's, it's good times over here in San Antonio. That sounds good. Yes, it's a very nice day here as well. Um, on this episode, we had the pleasure of talking to one of our colleagues, Suzanne Mix. She's the ASTI Learning and Development Manager here at Applied Software. And the conversation really was around this idea of formalizing L&D, uh, L&D uh, learning and development for the employee satisfaction and really how we can use it as a competitive advantage. What did you think of the talk? Uh, I, I thought it was, you know, another great episode by us, Pat, Pat on the back. Um, Suzanne, uh, you know, definitely brought the knowledge. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, developing employees and it's almost become like a, a mini theme of this season. Um, but not a whole lot of companies actually invest in their own L&D department that focuses on not only developing employees when it comes to software, but also things like soft skills and um, even things like company culture and, you know, learning what your company's values actually mean and how they apply to your day to day. Um, so, yeah, she definitely brought an in-depth because when I think of like L&D, I think of training, which, you know, I shouldn't. Um, and, you know, it, it was definitely a discussion where I learned a lot. And I think a lot of our listeners will uh, start to think about, you know, having their own L&D departments within their company. Yeah, I thought it was really informative and it, uh, it played real well with the, some of the previous episodes we've had. So I hope you get to listen to it, enjoy, and check back for more. On today's episode, we have Suzanne Mix. She is our uh, learning and development manager. How's it going? Pretty good. Glad to have you. Um, so Suzanne is a peer of ours. I've actually been working a lot with her as you've been developing uh, some of the stuff we'll probably talk about today. But before we start, can you tell a little, um, tell us a little bit about yourself? You know, what got you to where you are in terms of like your passion for learning and development? Uh, what does that all mean to you? And, and really, how did you become learning and development manager at Applied Software? Yeah, so it's sort of a long story, but I'll try to keep it pretty short. Um, but I started in architecture over 20 years ago. And over that career, I worked at multiple firms, but the majority of that was about 15 years, well, over 15 years um, at a global architecture firm based out of San Francisco. And at the beginning of that, I straddled both architecture and CAD management, which as you can imagine, transition to BIM management. And then I eventually moved over to a solely a BIM manager position. And then after a few years, that elevated into a regional BIM manager position over multiple offices. And after that, I made a transition from 
that regional position to the global studio as their firm-wide knowledge manager. And so that was really my first full-time L&D position. And um, which wasn't my last position there. My last position there was a firm-wide design technology manager. But that's sort of the quick progression of my career before I made another shift and uh, joined Applied Software here at the Design Practice Group. Fantastic. Um, so when we look at learning and development, so we talk about L&D, learning and development. Can you help set the stage? What does that mean? So learning and development, you know, a lot of people get it confused because they think they go straight to just training, but learning and development is definitely a lot more than just training. And so, you know, it can encompass anything from, you know, documentation, standards, best practices, as well as training and standard instruction. So depending on, you know, if you are in our industry, you know, it could be something along the lines of what you'd see in a a BIM manual or a, a BEP, something like that. But you can also take learning and development further into leadership skills or speech skills and things of that nature. So something that would develop you as a person, as well as some of those things that you get from just a standard training and increasing your knowledge or expertise. So L&D encompasses sort of that whole umbrella of all of those individual components. Okay. Um... So when we talk about L and D, um, and you know, we we as a business do this, and we talk to some of our customers, for instance, do you look at how L and D uh, can serve as a competitive advantage for a firm? Oh, I mean, absolutely, because you know, L and D can contribute to any firm, no matter the size, their competitive advantage. So, you know, by making sure employees are constantly advancing, a firm automatically gains value and continues to propel forward to make a much stronger position for themselves in the market. So if any company empowers their team while encouraging them to become more knowledgeable, any strategies they have in place make them then more efficient. Chris, you forgot to mention something in the intro. What? Suzanne went to the best university <laughs> in the entire world. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. You would think yeah. you would mention that, right? I mean, nah. So Jackson, um, Jackson worked really hard to get one of his professors on the show. And I think it was just so he could talk about Texas A&M the whole time. I don't blame him. Okay. So I had to return the favor and we got a professor of mine and we're doing two episodes with her. So I have one up Jackson. Uh, well, interestingly enough, that just means that I should reach out to one of my professors and make sure that we get another episode with a professor from Texas A&M. Yes. True. Suzanne, I was on her LinkedIn yesterday. She also was in the College of Architecture, just like me. Yes. It's pretty cool. So some Pretty bonding cool, huh? moments you know that's one good thing about the podcast we bring people together um so okay is this your first have you ever done a podcast before suzanne i have done um podcasts but this is actually the first one i will say that falls into the industry if i if i'm remembering correctly cool very cool 
So, um, so we're not that good at it. We're, you know, we're kind of just seeing how things go. Um, but, you know, it's interesting when you talk of, we, you know, the reason I asked about competitive advantage was it's been a while now, but I remember reading a quote where we, it was talking about, um, in theory, if we exclude money, for instance, we all have access in the industry to the same tools. We have all access to the same tools. And we're all focused on things like automation and productivity increases. And at some point, there's only so far we can go. And what it talked about was, and I think it, I'm curious if you agree with this, and I think you kind of do, is that a firm's true competitive advantage will ultimately be in the speed at which they can transfer knowledge internally. And it looked at knowledge and knowledge management and knowledge transfer as a huge competitive advantage. So does that tie into, I assume, um, potentially learning and development? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, any, I mean, it doesn't really matter in our industry or anywhere else, right? Any of that retention of knowledge and the sharing of knowledge is definitely going to give and help with the competitive advantage. But I would also say there's probably three other things. So, you know, as you can imagine, I'm very much in keeping knowledge that we have, sharing it with others and making sure that everybody has all of that readily available. But the other thing to keep in mind too is that employee satisfaction also leads to them and their retention. So investing time and money in employees, it makes them feel more valuable. And that's key because lots of employers believe what you were saying, like money and salaries, that's what's going to retain employees. And that's just not really the case. So if you consider like consider this, most of the current workforce right now is millennials. So this is the generation that put the spin on the side hustle and made it something to be desired. You know, they aren't in it for the money, but what they are is they want to be valued and they want to know that they're making an impact. So investing in their knowledge to make them feel valued encourages them and it leads to, you know, a positive relationship between a firm and its employees. And so that paired with that continuing of you know, knowledge sharing and, you know, just any of the stuff that you would have normally learned along the way through your career. So you're, you're not only being encouraged to learn something new, but you're also then being encouraged to pass that information along so that other people can learn from some of the things that you learn from. And so I think all of those things are key. Um, you know, other things that you can look at too that are crucial for that competitive advantage is industry changes. Um, you know, so, you know, look, ongoing learning helps with their entire workforce staying aware of what's happening in the industry and therefore always keeping them ahead of their competitors. And then, of course, it's no surprise, right, that learning and development naturally leads to more productivity in the workplace. You know, so highly engaged employees are challenged um, if they're given the skills to grow and the opportunity to progress within their chosen career path. These are the employees that are that are prone to invigorated by new opportunities and then turn out to be satisfied with their current firm or current situation. So I think all of those things could play to how LED could help with that competitive advantage. Do you think there's a relationship 
um, between L&D and overall innovation and a willingness to be innovative within a company? Oh, absolutely. In fact, <laughs> I sent Christopher an article, I don't know, probably six months ago called The Future of Work. And in there it said, I don't know, Christopher, do you remember the percentage? 90% yeah. of companies who have a learning and development culture are innovative. Like, you know, and so it's, I mean, the, the stats are high on that. So, you know, encouraging people to learn new things, whether it's upskilling or just simply reskilling, you know, mm -hmm. all of those things encourage you then to think forward, to figure out what your next step is, as well as then, you know, what, what can I do differently? How can I make this more efficient? You know, all of those sorts of things turn into innovation and just creation of new strategies and processes overall. I think it makes a ton of sense because when you think about with innovation, there's so much is continuous improvement also. Um, and so that doesn't just mean for the firm, but for the individual. And, you know, not everyone is going, maybe not everyone will necessarily seek out that learning on their own, but if it's readily available to them, it makes it that easier to do. And, and my thoughts always been like, if I'm working somewhere, you know, I never want to be stagnant personally or professionally for that matter. But if, if I'm not maybe doing exactly what I want, but I'm learning in the process, then I don't have as big of a heartache about whatever it is I'm doing. The moment I feel like I've stopped learning is the moment I need to reassess, am I doing what I need to be doing? And it really does speak a lot to that retention. I mean, I mentioned my past professor, she was uh, on an episode that'll be kind of before this one. And we talk about talent engagement and we talk about building that culture of engagement at um, an organization. And obviously she's very passionate about learning. And so it makes a lot of sense that learning and development has such a huge impact even on the culture that we have. So we've talked a little, and, and in fact, actually, I'd like to know a little bit, you know, we've talked about how it can be used as a competitive advantage, and mainly it's around speed and transfer of knowledge and just increase in our own skill set, which I think is important. Um, do you feel like as an organization that learning and development has a very impactful um, effect on the culture? I mean, I think creating an organic desire or thirst for learning should be part of your culture for sure. And developing a culture where continuous learning is an environment and it embeds upskilling into a flow um, of work, I think it's vital. Um, a, re a renewed learning strategy, uh, it will not only make learning part of the organization's mission overall, but it also adds value to all of its employees. Do you think people confuse, I know you, how you mentioned L&D is not exclusively training. And of course, you know, with the company that we're, we work for, a lot of what we do is training on software. Um, companies that do have L&D departments, because the one that I came from, no L&D department, not even, you know, um, like when I first joined, um, we had a manual that was like two inches thick that we had to go off of. And then it was on the job. Mm -hmm. Um, so no, for, no real formal training. Um, but L&D departments, is it, 
mainly around workflows and processes, or can it also venture out to things like soft skills? Like I know you had mentioned, um, like, you know, speech classes and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like if you have done your due diligence in figuring out your employees and their needs and or concerns, it should definitely branch out to, like I said before, leadership, soft skills, sometimes other applications. So applications that sometimes we take for granted. So just say, for instance, Microsoft applications, right? They're not something that you intuitively seek out as something that you would need training in. I use Outlook every day. Why do I need training for that? You know, however, if Microsoft training was available to you at any point and you could access it on your phone and you could look at it at any time and it sent you some sort of, let's just say, what's new, you know, topic to you you might be more inclined to figure out what's new and a new off, you know, a new office product or something else that you would no wouldn't normally have sought out on your own. And I think all of that is also very important. So if it's readily available and easy, and it also potentially sends you little reminders, I think it can be really helpful to hit some of those other things that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of when you were saying, especially if you came with the mindset of just training, right? And you're just like, oh, what do they need training on? You wouldn't have thought about some of those other miscellaneous applications because you don't think it's necessary. They're already using them. But stuff like that becomes so easy and so, I mean, talk about it, you know, your efficiency skyrocketing when you learn some of those things that you have, you know, affect you, these applications that you use constantly every day, that you somewhat take the learning for granted. And so, you know, if it's there and it's available, and then heaven forbid, you put it behind a platform that has some type of gamification, or you got double points for the fact that it's an application you don't normally use, you know, I mean, that just encourages you know, all sorts of different education topics and different ways for people to learn. I was going to ask about the competition aspect, like if there's certain things that you, because like, you know, certain people are competitive by nature, other people probably hate it. But I was wondering, you know, how a competition aspect can kind of enhance an L&D department, maybe to, you know, get more participation or something like that? It's interesting because there's so many studies, <laughs> Christopher knows I could go on for hours about gamification, but there's so sure. many studies that have been done about gamification and just the difference that you can see from you know today versus even five years ago. And the reality is it's, it's all because of what the exposure to the majority of our current workforce has had, right? And so five years ago, you were dealing with a different generation, right? And it's it was sort of the end of one, beginning of another. But they were ones that weren't necessarily exposed young to heavy games, right? You know, 
maybe would have had a Nintendo, maybe, you know, like, but they didn't have the types of games that were readily available to the generations that are currently in the workforce. So they are people who are not looking at that type of thing, just straight as competitive, right? Because most people think competitive, oh, I'm not competitive, or I am competitive, right? But that's you against a team or you against a group of people or something like that. But this is generations who have been exposed to leaderboards. That's a different type of competition, right? So it's not necessarily you against a group of people, oh, I won this game of basketball, right? It's, oh, I am ranked X amongst my peers. That's a whole different mindset. And so it's sort of a shift in the definition of competition. And so people, especially with the exposure to, to games and leaderboards and, and things of that nature, because that has increased, it has made that somewhat of a common practice. And so there's no negative connotation to it. So you don't look at the stats in some type of gamification for an LED platform and think like, oh, I can't do this, or oh, I didn't win. You're, you're looking at it going, oh, because I did these things, I have increased my stats in the leaderboard of my peers. And so it's, it's much more of a positive perspective. And it's really an encouraging environment because there's not that sort of like win-lose portion of it. You know, I, uh, it's been a while. And it's been a lot, this has nothing to do with the topic, but the leaderboard, uh, quite a long time ago, there was a baseball game. It was a video game for college baseball. It was awesome. And I was playing online against like the number, I don't even know how I got paired up to this person, like the number eight person in the country, I guess. And I was beating this guy in like the ninth inning and he turned his Xbox off and I didn't even get the win. So it was just devastating. So yeah, we've grown up, we, you know, a lot of us and, you know, our peers and we're, we're used to that. So it, it does, it does form competition, but it's also competition against yourself. Right. You know, for a lot of people, it's being able to see my progress and understand where I'm at. And, you know, I mean, how, how important is it? Do firms need to formalize their L and D or is it, they just need to encourage people to, to go learn. I mean, what is your stance on is it something that comes from the top and is formalized or is it we just give you access to it? I mean, I, in my experience, especially with adoption, it is definitely the highest success rate. So not saying it wouldn't be successful if you don't do it this way, but the highest success rate is if it comes from leadership and, the, you know, and that way the people know that whoever their leaders are or whoever they're employed by is concerned about their education, their learning, their development. They have prioritized that and they are offering that service to them. So I personally feel all firms should consider formalizing L&D to one degree or another. So the thing to keep in mind though, L&D is not a one size fits all type of engagement. You know, it should be thoughtful and logical for both employees and leadership. 
and L and D benefits not only the employee's personal growth, but it also impacts the entire business in terms of both productivity and profitability. So focusing on learning and development for your team allows your business to maintain a competitive edge and leads to higher customer satisfaction, lower cost, and faster growth amongst your employees. And so the next generation of learning platforms is not going to be just nice to have. It's going to be essential for attracting, developing, and retaining your talent. Um, by building programs that help your current employees learn, you're strengthening your existing workforce and building that foundation to attract candidates who also value continued development. The AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and champion innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. While we're talking about video game accolades, I just wanted to mention that in Wii Mario Kart, I was once top 20 in the world on Rainbow Road, the hardest track, as many know. Impressive. Yeah. yeah. That was when the steering wheel was a part of it. So anyways, um, so, you know, with all of the different learning styles that people have, ha has there been any research done on... There's seven. Um, <laughs> Seven. There are seven Has there been any, any research done on, you know, how you can tailor your, you know, L&D learning path specifically for the different learning styles that you have coming in and that are within your company? That way it's not cookie cutter, one size fits all. So if I were to tell a firm about what the future of learning should look like, learning style adaptation is on my list of things to consider. So an element of this next generation of L&D programs is the ability to adapt to a unique learning style of your employees. So don't assume your employees all learn the same way. You know, when people are able to choose their conditions, so the way they learn, um, you know, what they're learning and how they're learning it, they're much more likely to adhere to what your program is and really stick with it. Um, additionally, if a program uh, adapts to multiple learning styles, employees will also be more encouraged to recommend that program to others because of the apparent flexibility that it feels like to that employee. Um, and so I, there are seven learning styles. And so, um, but I would consider if you're gonna look at learning styles, there are four of them that I would say when you're planning and creating a learning platform, that would be crucial. And that's visual, auditory, writing, and kinesthetic. And so those are the ones that I would say you should focus on. And if you hit those, the other three can be either combinations of those 
Um, and then some of them just don't really apply, learning style-wise don't apply to our industry, but those would definitely be the four I would focus on. You know, you kind of mentioned about <clears throat> the future of learning uh, and, you know, L&D is going to just, we're going to have to have those type of programs is the expectation. And it's interesting when we think about, you know, we're in a very competitive market now. I mean, who, long, who knows how that continues, but things like remote work have now kind of become an expectation, but it, it makes a lot of sense that people are looking to their companies to, I think there's an expectation that you should help provide me the knowledge that I need, not just for my job, but who's to say that the CFO can't give a class on, you know, taxes or something. It doesn't have to be isolated just to work. And it's something I just don't see happening a whole lot in the industry. And I don't know if it's, we're too busy. I don't know if we don't prioritize it, but, you know, we'll have a lunch and learn, bring everyone together and talk to them all day about Revit 101, but we don't have those business conversations I mean, do you see even those topics coming up more and more as just part of even an architect firm's uh, L&D? Yeah, and I would say that firms who have adopted L&D early and have platforms in place that have made it easy for them to sort of roll out new material, so making sure their content's not just static, there are people who have done exactly what you're saying. So they have had these different types of learning come in. And some of it, I would say, some of the ones that have been a little bit more successful have also tapped into things that are a little bit more personal than professional. And so in their curriculum, you know, that's available to you, you can learn about that software that you're supposed to use and you're supposed to be very efficient at, but you can also take a class in gardening that someone did because during the pandemic, they started an urban garden. And so there's lots of companies that have used their platform for stuff that's a little bit more personal and making it a lot more fun for an employee, all while you know, they're learning that thing that's a little bit off topic or isn't necessarily related to their professional career, but they're still in the platform where all of that other content is. So you're still, you're still creating a way that makes them want to come back and learn something new or see what's new that's there, you know, all while also sort of in the background, you know, telling them too all the new stuff that's available for softwares or workflows or best practices or anything like that. So keeping content fresh and sometimes outside of the normal box that you'd think of, I think is also going to be something you'll see lots of firms do um, moving forward. And what a great way to build culture too, that I could take Absolutely. a class, not, not just learn something, but then I learn like what you're interested in. And, if, you know, if you started doing gardening and now you do the class for it, I didn't know you did gardening, but I also like, you know, I mean, so I think there's added benefits that people don't, I don't know if they think about those. Well, and I even have seen, um, there's a, there's a firm here locally. And one of the things that they used to do um, in person was they had this sort of night where they did art exhibits and it was all like your coworkers art. And so they hosted it in the office and you kind of got to see what people did 
in their past, you know, like in their spare time, right? And so it was very interesting. But in during the pandemic, they encouraged them to continue that. But what has, you know, of course it was a virtual, but what sort of transpired out of that is some of these other sort of mini courses where it's it's somebody coming in and telling you about a type of painting that they do and you know stuff like that so it's stuff that you is you know sort of close to the industry but not necessarily something that you're going to need to do on every project but does give you some ideas of other things to learn or interest or like you said just some information about your coworker that you didn't know it gives you a little bit more of a close culture um, of knowing your employees yeah I from this conversation, it sounds a lot like L&D departments really are the backbone to a company's culture. I don't know if you would agree with that, but um, within those departments, you know, a lot of companies, they talk about their culture, they talk about their core values. I know at A&M, we have our core values. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I just, I wanted to get that in for Chris. Um, so within those departments, it sounds like you can really solidify, you know, a company's mission statement, a company's core values through that to where not only does the employee feel more a part of the team, but they actually have a true understanding of what the company actually stands for. Yeah. I mean, it, and, you know, it depends the, the, L&D is definitely crucial in the culture. They're definitely the best way to disperse that information. So they might not necessarily be the same group that develop that content. So they might not be the people who are figuring out what your mission statement is, but they're definitely the people who can help you advertise, promote it, both internally and externally. So I would definitely say that if you haven't sought out your L&D department, to get your core values, your mission statement, your brand, any of that information out, they're definitely a team that can help you do that because they have the ways to disperse it to employees. They also are the ones that will be the first people to be able to advertise that stuff to new candidates. Yeah, and, and like you were saying before of the new generation of worker, a lot of the new generation of workers seems, to, they all seem to want to, you know, work for a company that has similar values to them or, you know, I, I don't know where else I was going with that. So no, that's Chris, good. maybe you can land the plane for me. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, it, one thing I would ask, um, obviously we recognize the importance, but what do you say to those uh, individuals where, you know, their, their belief or their feeling is, I don't want to give you all of these skills just for you to leave. And cause I hear that all the time is, well, you know, I, right as they got good, they left or, you know, I don't know how much I want to teach them because then they're going to go somewhere else. I mean, what do you say to, to that, that individual? So that one's tricky only because it's going to be a tad bit harsh, but what do you say the, politely to that individual? Right. Well, I mean, there isn't a polite answer, right? Because the, 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 the real answer is if you, if you did your learning and development program in the best way you could, you would have not only taught them 
new information and made them the best employee, but you would have also encouraged them to want to continue that and shown them that they were valued, which are two things that would encourage them to stay. So if you're doing those things well, I would venture to say you're not going to have that problem. You start to have that problem when they're no longer feeling valued or they feel like they've hit the peak of everything that they can learn and they're going to go find it elsewhere. And sadly, there's lots of, of people, I've seen it happen many times, where people change jobs solely because they felt like the person they were working for either didn't really know them and their capabilities or didn't value what they brought. And neither of those are things that are specific to, oh, I don't make enough money or, oh, I, I am so good at this skill. I'm going to go elsewhere. No, that's not how that works. So if you, if you really invest in them and they know that you have invested in them, the next step is make sure they know that they are valued and they're making an impact on your business. And I can guarantee you, they're not going anywhere. So as we kind of wrap up, um, one, that was great. That was, that was a very polite way to say it. That was um, inspiring. Yeah, geez. That, that, that fired that me up. up. That, was, that was really well said. Well, I can give another inspiration from the, if you're the individual, if you want the real inspiration, because I feel very strongly about that. <laughs> we could put that in the show notes. Um, as we kind of wrap up, you know, I'm sure people are listening and they're like, yeah, that all sounds great. L&D, that's, that's wonderful. I believe in continuous improvement, but we're super busy and I don't even know where to start. You know, what is a firm that this maybe maybe they value learning. They've never formalized it. They're not even sure how to go about doing. What are some initial steps that they can take to even figure that, that journey out? I mean, there's, there's lots of ways that you can look at the kit of parts that makes up learning and decide what you can do in small bits. And I would say messaging around this is going to be key to all of your employees and making sure that message is coming from a positive perspective, because when the change initially happens, you know, and you're, and you're looking to put learning in place, you want to make sure that's coming from a positive standpoint. But I would say looking at the kit of parts, so, you know, or reaching out to, you know, us, for instance, Call you know, somebody, yeah, somebody who offers a, a program, because when you, you know, if you don't have the time, you know, you're gonna have to make some time. So no matter what you do, no matter what you decide to do, no matter how big your investment is, no matter financially or time, you're gonna need both. And you're gonna want to make sure that you're doing the most with that investment. So, you know, you may just look at like, hey, I don't even know where my people's skills lie. Like, I don't know if I have skills gaps. I don't know if they need training. You know, I don't know if I have power users, for instance. You know, you could do something simple like do assessments, you know, and say, hey, I'm just, we're doing these assessments. We're gonna see if we can look at some skills gaps. If we have skills gaps, we wanna do some targeted training. I don't want to do this training where it wastes everybody's time, you know, and all of that. If you don't have time, you know, figure out a way that you can do targeted 
training and make sure it's just specifically what they need. And that would be where I would start. I mean, that's, that to me is an easy, it doesn't require you to have a LMS or a, you know, any type of platform in place. It doesn't require you to do a lot of things in advance. And then, you know, depending on what your firm size is, you then have a direction of where to take your training program, you know, or if you're somebody who, you know, goes to a third party for training, then you have a direction to tell them, hey, these are the topics we need. I don't need your four day long class that I cannot commit to. So that would be my first suggestion of what to do. You know, it's the, the old analogy of eating the elephant, you know, one bite at a time. I think the tailored approach makes so much sense too. Cause I know I'm sure all three of us at some point have taught a class to somebody where there was one person that just didn't need to be there and we were wasting their time and they got nothing out of it. So there's just an actual cost. And they were, I don't know. I mean, if I get put in, if I'm told to sit in a class by my employer and it doesn't even get close to my skill level, I feel like they don't even know me. And like, why'd you put me in right. here? You know? And so I think that tailored approach is so important. Well, do you have anything else that you feel like we need to uh, let our listeners know about L&D before we go? I mean, the only thing that I would say is, you know, if you're somebody who has listened to this conversation and you have wondered if you have L&D opportunities in your current situation, I would encourage you to figure that out. And I would also encourage you that if that answer is no, to challenge your employer to provide a program that this is a new era where having a desire to learn is not a negative trait. So take advantage of this time that we're in, you know, make the choice to upskill or even reskill. We haven't talked about that much, but even reskill. Um, and I would encourage you not to give up. So if your current situation doesn't seem to wanna to provide you some type of learning and development program, you know, start looking at other opportunities. There are so many companies across the world that are making learning and development a priority, making your learning development and career your priority and find an organization who will support and encourage your goals and growth by providing those tools to you to make it happen. I think it's great. And encourage it to ask questions. I mean, just because you ask for learning or you doesn't mean, and I think maybe people are afraid of this. Like if I say I need some training in this area and I'm supposed to know this, this is, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I feel like that attitude, we just have to get rid of like at the employer level, we can't look at it as if I come to you for learning, I can't look at it from the negative and say, oh, well, that means you have a job you don't even have the skills for. I should, if nothing else, look at it as I appreciate your willingness to learn and grow. And I'm hoping to see that further. Let's, let's get you what you need. I would even say there's lots of employers who have already figured out how having an employee in a position where they don't have the expertise has cost them that you would be surprised at the amount of employers who are at a point now, especially with all that has come post pandemic and with all of the remote, remote 
being remote from all the employees has been has made it very clear of things that have changed and skills gaps. And I would say there's lots of employers who are saying, hey, I would rather you come tell me that you want training and we we resolve that situation than for you to sit there and continue to do this in an inefficient way. So I would venture to say that that most people and if for the record, if you're not, if you're in a situation where you go ask for training and you get some sort of ridicule, the market is hot, people look elsewhere because there are so many employers who are understanding the value that this brings. And, you know, I, I would recommend that you seek them out. I was waiting for the finger wag. I feel like every commercial or uh, conversation we've had, there's been at least one finger wag. So I'm glad you got that in right to the end. But <laughs> the grand finale. Yeah. Um, Suzanne, we really do appreciate you joining. Um, and, you know, we appreciate your expertise and hopefully the listeners get, you know, get some valuable out of it and reach out to us if they have questions. Yeah, absolutely. Here to answer any of them. All, all things L&D. Thanks for listening to the AEC Disruptors podcast. Enjoy this episode. Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks for listening. The AEC Disruptors is directed by Christopher Riddell, produced by Todd Wyant, edited by Eric Daniel, and co-hosted by Jackson Sensat. The AEC Disruptors is an Applied Software production, copyright Applied Software 2022.